Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Third Quarter 2020 Earning Results Conference Call. Sitting on call today are Gore Johnson, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Teresa Jang, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Stantec invites those dialing in to view the slide presentation, which is available in the Investor section at stantec.com. Today's call is also webcast. Please be advised that if you have dialed in while viewing the webcast, you should mute your computer as there is a 20-second delay between the call and the webcast. All information provided during this conference call is subject to the forward-looking statement qualification set out on slide two, detailed in the Stantec, Stantec management discussion and analysis, and incorporated in full for the purposes of today's call. Dollar amounts discussed in today's call are expressed in Canadian dollars and are generally rounded. With that, I'm pleased to turn the call over to Mr. Gore Johnson. Well, good morning, and thank you for joining us. I'll begin our call today with a review of our third quarter performance. Teresa will then delve deeper into the financial results, review our 2020 outlook, and provide our 2021 targets. I'll then return to provide our closing remarks. We delivered another solid quarter in Q3 with net revenues in line with the outlook we provided during our Q2 call. Our business discipline, coupled with the improved operational efficiencies driven by our 2019 reshaping initiative, ongoing staffing management, and controls on discretionary spending drove a strong 17.3% adjusted EBITDA margin, a 5.1% year-over-year increase in adjusted diluted EPS, and a 5.4% increase in adjusted net income, in spite of net revenue and gross margin retractions. Backlog grew organically in Q3 to a record high of $4.8 billion, and our balance sheet continued to strengthen. Subsequent to the quarter, we closed on our $300 million bond offering at very attractive terms. Teresa will discuss this in more detail in her section of the presentation. At the end of the presentation today, I'll review how our four value creators of people, excellence, innovation, and growth continue to underpin our competitive advantage and further enhance shareholder value. Q3 net revenue was consistent with the outlook we provided in our Q2 call. Compared with the same period last year, net revenue for the quarter decreased 3.8%, or $36 million, to $916 million. Revenue retracted organically 4.7% in the quarter. Year-to-date, net revenue is holding up very well despite the COVID-19 pandemic, with organic retraction of only 1.0%. Water demonstrated strong year-over-year organic growth in the quarter, with healthy activity continuing in the United States, the United Kingdom, and Australia. As discussed on our last call, this was driven by significant project awards in the US, the AMP7 Framework Awards in the UK, and a multi-year framework award in Australia. Looking ahead, we've just started to mobilize for the Irish Water Seven-Year Framework, and just last week, we announced our leadership role in San Diego's multi-billion dollar Pure Water Initiative which will supply sustainable water to the city's 1.4 million residents. 
Environmental services continues to perform well and slightly ahead of expectations. Essentially, all of our environmental services contracted backlog remains in place and is being executed with limited COVID-related delays or cancellations. Key projects in LNG facilities and pipelines continue to advance. As well, existing large infrastructure projects in the Northwest Territory, Manitoba and Alberta grew in scope during the quarter. Energy and resources had a strong quarter given the ongoing pandemic. Increased midstream pipeline work in Canada was offset by reduced mining activity in both Canada and our global operations due to pandemic-related shutdowns and deferred industry spending. We're seeing increased opportunities in renewables, particularly in solar. While this market slowed briefly earlier in the year, it's picked up, and we were recently awarded large-scale solar projects in Canada, the U.S., and Australia. In general, given the critical nature of power generation and transmission infrastructure, the utility market has not slowed. We're seeing strong growth in electrical transmission opportunities, especially in the U.S., because of resiliency programs, the growth of renewables, and fire threat mitigation. Infrastructure revenues retracted in the quarter, primarily due to several large rail transit projects in the United States which were beginning to wind down. At the same time, the ramp-up of some of our other major transportation projects has been a bit slower than normal. We expect our transportation business to be a beneficiary of various infrastructure stimulus programs as they're announced around the globe. And while we have seen concrete stimulus spending commitments in various locations, there will be a time lag between when these programs are announced and when we begin to generate meaningful revenue. That said, our participation in Edmonton's Valley Line West LRT P3 was announced just last week. The commercial, airport, and hospitality sectors in our buildings business continue to be impacted by the pandemic. However, we're seeing continued growth in work for e-commerce clients. We've also seen a significant increase in the pursuit of activity in the healthcare sector, and we were recently named as the lead designer of the preferred, preferred performance team for the $1.4 billion Footscray Hospital in Melbourne, Australia. Our public sector exposure in, in buildings remains greater than 50%, which is higher than many of our peers. And we're seeing a trend toward greater exposure to publicly funded projects in our buildings business, which should bolster future resiliency. While Q3 2020 net revenue in the U.S. retracted slightly more than anticipated compared with Q2, we're seeing continued growth in water and strong performance in environmental services. The pandemic has had an unfavorable impact on buildings and has contributed to the slower ramp-up of some major transportation projects. Gross margin as a percentage of net revenue decreased 1.7% in the quarter to 52.9%. This reflects a shift in our project mix, primarily driven by the major projects in our transportation sector. During the quarter, we won a number of new major projects, including the San Diego Pure Water contract, the Arctic Research Support and Logistics contract, in the I-93 North York Widening Project in Pennsylvania. In Canada, Q3 net revenues were slightly ahead of Q2, which was consistent with our outlook. While Canada experienced a 5.3% organic retraction compared with Q319, we're seeing growth in our energy and resources business, largely due to midstream pipeline work, and in our transportation sector. As well, environmental services performance has remained consistent year over year. The impact of slowed economic growth, amplified by the COVID-19 pandemic, was more pronounced in buildings and community development. 
Gross margin decreased 1.8% as a percentage of net revenue in the quarter to 50.4%. This was mainly due to a shift in our project mix, driven largely by the increased volume of lower margin work related to our midstream pipeline and rail transit work. Some of the major contracts we won in the quarter include the design for Canada's fighter jet squadron infrastructure upgrades in both Alberta and Quebec, and a new integrated academic and student housing facility in British Columbia. Net revenues in our global business achieved 5.8% growth over Q2, which was generally in line with our expectations. Year over year, Q3 net revenue grew nominally as favorable foreign exchange rates offset a slight organic retraction. Continued strong performance in our UK and Australian water business, our work at New Zealand's transportation sector, and progressive recovery in core markets in our UK infrastructure business all contributed to a strong showing in our global operations in Q3. The impact of COVID-19 was most pronounced in our UK and Australia buildings and European environmental services business. Our mining business was also affected by pandemic-related short-term mine closures in Peru. Gross margin as a percentage of net revenue decreased 3% in the quarter to 53.5%. Margins were impacted by project mix and some ongoing pricing pressures for our services in the UK, Europe, and Australia. Additionally, localized challenges on certain projects reduced gross margin in our Middle East water and buildings business. During the quarter, we were awarded a number of major contracts in our global operations. As I mentioned earlier, we were selected as a building services engineer for the Plenary Health Consortium, which has been selected as a preferred proponent for the new Footscray Hospital project. And we were also selected by the European Commission to support development of a continental generation and transmission master plan to meet Africa's growing power needs. Backlog expanded in Q3 to a record 4.8 billion, which represents approximately 12 months of work. Backlog has grown 12.7% since the end of 2019, of which 10.6% is organic growth. And since Q2, backlog has grown organically by 3.2%. Our book to burn ratio for Q3 2020 was 1.1 compared to 1.0 for Q3 2019, and it's greater than one across each of our five business operating units. Overall, our sales pipeline remains healthy after the brief dip in activity we saw in Q1. The number of new pursuits in our pipeline has returned to more typical levels, and not surprisingly, we're seeing more opportunities in the public sector than we are in the private sector. I'll turn the call over to Teresa now for a review of our financial performance and our outlook. Thank you, Gord, and good morning, everyone. Adjusted net income from continuing operations increased 5% to 70 million in the third quarter or 7.6% as a percentage of net revenue. Adjusted earnings per share increased 5% to 62 cents per share. This is largely due to a 9% decrease in administrative and marketing expenses and a 33% reduction in net interest expense. Gross margin for the quarter decreased 7% to 479 million. As a percentage of net revenue, gross margin was 52.3%. The pandemic continues to disrupt our and our clients' operations to a degree, causing some inefficiencies in project execution. As demonstrated by our solid adjusted EBITDA margin of 17.3%, we're managing the business carefully and we've taken steps to mitigate COVID-19's impact on organic growth and gross margin. 
Our balance sheet remains strong. At September 30th, net debt to adjusted EBITDA was below our targeted range at 0.8 times. Days sales outstanding was 82 days at quarter end, compared with our target of 90 days. DSO has remained unchanged since Q2, and we've not seen any notable impacts due to the pandemic. Moving on to liquidity and capital allocations, we generated $124 million in free cash flow for the quarter, a 31% increase compared with Q3 2019. Sequentially, our free cash flow has improved every quarter for the past four quarters on a trailing 12-month basis. On October 8, we closed our inaugural bond offering, issuing $300 million in senior notes with a seven-year term, bearing interest at 2.048%. The notes were rated triple B with a stable trend by DBRS, and we used the proceeds to pay down our revolving credit facility, which means that our $800 million facility is currently largely undrawn, giving us significant dry powder to weather the pandemic and to fund growth through acquisitions. As a result of the uncertainty created by the pandemic, we withdrew our 2020 guidance in May. We remain committed to our strategic plan, launched in December 2019. However, disruption caused by the COVID-19 pandemic will likely delay the achievement of our targets within the original time frame. At this time, we're unable to set a revised timeline with a high degree of confidence. Today, we're reiterating our outlook for 2020 as set out in August. We're also providing our targets for 2021. These targets assume a continued gradual global recovery, but may not be valid should our key geographies experience a severe worsening of the pandemic. In terms of our revenue expectations, in the US, we expect the step down we saw from Q2 to Q3 to continue into the fourth quarter due to the effect of project slowdowns combined with the typical downturn in activity related to the onset of colder weather and seasonal holidays. For the full year, we expect U.S. net revenues to be comparable to, although slightly below, 2019 in native currency. We expect the same seasonal dynamics to be at play in Canada, which will result in Q4 2020 net revenues retracting relative to Q3. Given the weak outlook for Canada before the pandemic, we expect a nominal retraction in revenue for the full year compared to last year. In global, we expect that Q4 2020 net revenues will be down slightly relative to Q3. Our UK buildings practice appears to be more impacted by pandemic-related headwinds than anticipated. However, we expect strong performance from our water business in the UK and Australia and our transportation sector in New Zealand, which has largely offset the impact of project slowdowns in the private sector for our other businesses. We expect this to result in 2020 revenues being comparable to, although slightly below, 2019. Taken together, we expect 2020 net revenues that are comparable to, although slightly below, 2019. Adjusted net income and adjusted EPS are expected to be comparable to 2019 as a result of lower admin and marketing costs and lower interest costs. As noted last quarter, we expect to uh, achieve roughly 55% of our 2020 earnings to be concentrated in Q2 and Q3, with 45% in Q1 and Q4. Our balance sheet is strong, and we continue to have excellent liquidity. Our capital allocation priorities have not changed. Our M&A activity has been re-engaged, and we're committed to returning capital to our shareholders through the payment of our dividend, 
and will continue to repurchase shares opportunistically. Moving on to our targets for next year, we expect our business to continue to demonstrate resilience and believe we're well positioned to generate solid earnings. For 2021, we anticipate low to mid-single-digit organic net revenue growth. We anticipate muted net revenue growth in the U.S. in the low single digits. While we believe we're well positioned to benefit from stimulus spending, we haven't yet incorporated any potential upside for this in our revenue expectations due to the uncertainty around the timing of such legislation being passed. I should also note that our outlook for 2021 assumes a U.S. to Canada exchange rate of 0.76, so a weaker U.S. dollar than the average we saw in 2020. Organic growth in Canada is expected to be in the mid-single digits, driven by work in the midstream pipeline space, where activity is anticipated to be at peak levels in 2021. Excluding this activity, organic growth in Canada is expected to be in the low single digits. Global organic growth is also expected to be in the mid-single digits, benefiting from strong performance in the regulated water market and with stimulus funds beginning to flow. And while we've re-engaged our M&A activity, we have not incorporated any acquisitions into our 2021 outlook, as it's difficult to predict the cadence of when a particular transaction may close. For 2021, we're targeting adjusted EBITDA to be in the range of 14.5 to 15.5%. This range is the result of our expectation that gross margins will hold steady relative to 2020, while admitted marketing costs normalize. We anticipate gross margin to be somewhere in the range of 52 to 53.5%, which reflects our expectation that the pandemic will continue to impact productivity both within our operations and that of our clients, and an anticipated meaningful increase in the cost of employee group benefits. We also expect 2021 gross margin to be impacted by an increased volume of lower margin work on our large midstream pipeline project and on several of our lower margin multi-billion dollar transportation projects, which are nearing completion. Meanwhile, admin and marketing costs will likely return to the typical range of 37 to 39% of debt revenue. This range reflects a more normalized level of discretionary spending relative to 2020, but not a return to pre-pandemic levels. We do, however, anticipate an increase in non-discretionary costs, including insurance and employee group benefits associated with indirect labor. As well, we're increasing our investments to drive innovation and in IT systems to support our growing U.S. federal government practice. We expect adjusted net income to be equal to or greater than 6% of net revenue as we benefit from lower interest expense and depreciation and amortization. Return on invested capital is targeted to be equal to or greater than 9.0%. And we expect to generate 40% of our earnings in Q1 and Q4 and 60% in Q2 and Q3. We continue to advance our strategic initiative to optimize occupancy costs beyond those locations identified to date, which could result in the recording of lease asset impairments, non-cash charges that reflect the change in our plans to utilize space that is currently under lease, with the long-term benefit of reduced occupancy costs and increased earnings and cash flows. As our analysis is ongoing, our 2021 targets do not yet include the potential benefits from further optimization. And again, I note our targets do not include any assumed acquisitions 
given the unpredictable nature of the size and timing of such acquisitions. Finally, our continued prudent management of leverage will keep our net debt to adjusted EBITDA within or below 1.0 to 2.0 times, and we're committed to maintaining our triple B credit rating. With that, I'll turn the call back to Gord for his concluding remarks. Thanks, Teresa. We continue to execute well on our strategic plan, which we rolled out to our employees and the investment community in December of last year. I want to thank our employees for their continued commitment to serving our clients and in helping them through the unprecedented disruption caused by the pandemic. Our results this quarter are truly a credit to our people. By keeping a tight grip on administrative and marketing costs, we continue to mitigate the compression of our gross margin. Our reshaping efforts in 2019, ongoing cost reduction initiatives, and a significant reduction in discretionary spending during the pandemic continue to protect our industry-leading adjusted EBITDA margins. We continue to invest in and develop innovative solutions for ourselves and our clients to meet the challenges posed by COVID-19 and to ensure that we emerge from the pandemic in even stronger competitive positions. We're also implementing strategies to conduct M&A activities by leveraging local resources even more while travel is restricted. And we'll utilize these strategies through the integration of Teshmont, a small but strategic acquisition that we announced subsequent to the quarter. We remain confident in the resilience of our business model and our ability to navigate the ongoing challenges posed by the COVID-19 pandemic. Given everything that Stantec has done in the last year, including our 2019 reshaping initiative, alignment of our organizational structure, continued focus on discretionary cost management, and the staffing strategies we put in place, mean that we're very well positioned as we head into 2021. And with that, we'll open the call up to questions. Operator? Thank you. If you would like to pose a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Please ensure the mute function on your telephone is switched off to allow the signal to reach our equipment. Once again, that's star 1 for any telephone questions. Our first question today comes from Chris Murray of ATB Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks, folks. Good morning. Um, maybe turning to your 2021 guidance, if you can just maybe we can dig into this a little bit more. Um, can you talk a little bit about how um, the NITS you believe is going to be the part of the impact in gross margin? Um, just uh, I guess the uh, the EBITDA margins coming in maybe a little bit lower than we thought, and and so any color there would be appreciated. Sure, Chris. I, I think we caught all of that. You, you were coming from us a, a little bit soft, right? I think we caught your question around 2021 gross margin um, project mix. And, and project mix. So, so yeah. I mean, I, I think what we is that that's, is that right? That's correct. Okay. All right. Great. So, I mean, I, I think what we saw in 2020, and it's important in, in, in the lead up into 2021 is you know, some compression in our gross margin relative to uh, the, the ranges that, that we have historically seen. And you know, really that has been driven by a combination of some uh, reduction in productivity, which is really hard to measure uh, you know, and, and to drill into. Uh, but we do believe that there, there is uh, some of that occurring um, both from on our side and our, our client side. So it's a timeliness around which uh, we're, we're able to uh, we're, we're able to, to conduct our work and, and, and have a responsiveness from our clients. Um, 
but there is also a, a component of overall all project mix, and, and that you know has driven our, our gross margin down, uh, and, and that's what we're expecting to, to see some continuation of, of next year. Um, the Trans Mountain project uh, is somewhat outsized for us relative to our other projects. Still, you know, overall less than you know less than uh, five percent of our total net revenues. Uh, so, you know, as we've always said, we don't really have any uh, number of projects that are big enough to, to really push things in one direction or another. But this one particular project and contract is uh, larger than, than most, and uh, it is at a relatively low gross margin. And so that, uh, as we move into next year, uh, becomes more prominent in the overall mix. Uh, and, and brings our gross margin down. And what's important around that particular project, though, and, and we have emphasized this in the past as well, that um, you know because of the nature of that work, uh, with uh, uh, our, the employees working out in the field, um, there is you know virtually no uh, admin cost associated uh, with that project. And so on balance, you know the, the EBITDA margin that it generates is you know is comparable, probably. A little bit lower overall than the rest of our project work, uh, but the gross margin reduction is not indicative of what flows through to the ultimate EBITDA line. So, with with that picking up steam next year, uh, as well as just where we are in the stage of our, you know, there's, there's a number of large transportation projects that are winding down and in that lower gross margin range. You know, that's the dynamic we're seeing that's going to keep our gross margin around where it is currently. And we're going to work really hard to bring it up. We think there is some opportunity to improve our gross margin. Uh, but uh, we, we're not seeing, as you can see from the range we put out there, uh, we're not seeing it rise back to that 53 to 55%, which has historically been the gross margin range we've targeted. Okay, thanks. Um, and then I don't know who would like to take this one, but you know, I guess there's a couple of pieces uh, around the question around you know, occupancy. Um, and I guess, you know, first of all, Gord, I'd be curious about your thoughts around, you know, how you've seen the organization change as we've gone through COVID and how you think about, you know, folks in an office setting and, and what that does to your footprint. But then what does that do to the rest of your building's um, business and, and how are you guys thinking about that business longer term? Um, so, you know, on a cost side, it's a savings for you perhaps. Um, but then it's also, you know, how, how offices get used in the future is maybe a little bit different as well. Yeah, so I'll, uh, I'll start on the, with the overall occupancy side. You know, we, um, we've seen, and I think our industry overall has seen, based on some of the panels I've been on over the last couple of weeks, that um, across the, the, the board, we're seeing that utilization numbers are holding up reasonably well, but that there's some concern about the amount of productivity per, per billable hour. So there is some benefit to having people together in the offices. There certainly is some business of, um, from a project perspective, particularly as you think about junior and intermediate staff, you know, the ability to walk by someone's office and ask a question, um, you know, and then continue to work in a more efficient manner. So there is some benefit um, to that. So, uh, but as we think about overall occupancy, you know, we're, We've been surveying our staff. We've been talking to others in the industry, and we, you know, as we think about occupancy going forward, you know, we begin to think about certainly a, a percentage of people in the office full time, a percentage of people, and that would be the majority likely, a percentage that would be in and out, you know, a couple of days in the office, a couple of days at home, perhaps, 
and then a smaller percentage that would work from home exclusively. So, you know, we are thinking about that as we think about our longer-term footprint. We're not coming out and making any bold statements like we've seen from others in the tech sector that nobody's coming back to the office or much less than 50% will ever come back to the office because we don't think that's, that's the reality in, in the long term. Uh, but that said, uh, you know, you asked about the impact it might have on our business, our buildings business in particular. We do have a workforce group in our buildings business that, that is certainly advising us as well as a number of our clients on these sorts of um, decisions and how they might reconfigure an office. Perhaps if, if there's folks coming into the office three, day, three or four days a week and at home others, maybe those, those individuals should not expect to have a dedicated workspace for them. So they're you know, looking at how do we move from a, a perspective where there's dedicated workspaces for people to, to some shared or hoteling type space. Um, in terms of how you think how that might impact our own, our own buildings business, you know, certainly that is the, the commercial, the office space segment uh, of our buildings business has been the most impacted through the downturn uh, in, in the pandemic. That in our hospitality group where we're designing you know, new multi-story hotels and, and those sorts of things. But you know, as we've talked about, we, we have seen a bit of a pivot um, due to some of the activities, the way people are, are, uh, are responding differently. E-commerce work is up. Uh, we're seeing healthcare work is up. But as we saw in Q3, you know, our, our buildings business did retract uh, organically, again, as they did in Q2. So while that pivot is occurring, that healthcare work that we're seeing in particular, there's a lot of healthcare work, uh, big projects coming out in Australia and in Canada in particular. Um, that work is starting to ramp up. You saw we announced the Footscray. But, um, you know, I think the, the rapid decline that we saw in commercial and hospitality hasn't been yet offset by the increase that we're seeing in healthcare, e-commerce, and so on. So we're watching it pretty carefully, matching our, our workforce to the, the type of work that's available. Okay, thanks, that's helpful. I'll turn it over. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Our next question today comes from Jacob Dash of CIBC. Please go ahead, your line is open. Good morning, and I'm gonna apologize up front. I think I've got a fairly static in line here. So I hope you can hear my questions. Um, my first question, it just goes back to the EBITDA margin uh, target. Um, and maybe you can talk a bit about in a post-COVID world, uh, where you actually see you know, EBITDA margins are normalizing. Sure, Jacob. I mean, it's, I think the reality is it's, it's hard to say uh, what a post-COVID margin looks like. Um, you know, I, I think where we have been in our strategic planning is thinking about and, 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 and mapping out opportunities to, you know, to look for EBITDA margin improvement. And, and, and we still believe that those opportunities exist. Um, it feels a little bit like um, the, the goalposts have moved for us, though, uh, through the pandemic, um, whether it be, you know, shifts in, I pointed to employee group benefits. Um, that's a step change um, in, in increase in, in costs that, you know, has, of course, you know, being a, a people company is, is pretty significant. Um, and, and so it's, it's things like that that it's hard for us to know where that settles out, whether this is kind of a new normal level of cost that we 
you know, are, are expecting to bear or not. Uh, and, and so there's, there's a bit of back and forth on, on this. Um, so again, hard, hard to, to really pin down where we think um, it's going to land post-pandemic. Uh, but certainly, you know, our efforts are around, um, you know, continuing to, to, to strengthen our EBITDA margin. We're very focused on it, um, but really felt that uh, for 2021, um, the range that we put out is, you know, is a, a realistic um, outcome and function of what we're seeing from a gross margin and then an overall cost perspective. And so where that takes us, you know, beyond the pandemic is, is really tough to say at this point. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess from my view, you know, I think if I heard your comments correct, you know, mix also played into this as well. And I thought, you know, a normalization of mix, unless you think there's a step change there as well post-COVID um, would have an impact. Yeah, I don't know if that's the case. But yeah, I'll just, I'll just interject there. I don't, I don't know. I mean, project fix will always be a, a factor for sure. Uh, but whether that always, that means that permanently there's a step change down, uh, I, I don't think we would say that that's, uh, that's the case. I think we are in, you know, an, an interesting period right now where, you know, we've got this one large project uh, that is, is clearly having an impact on gross margin. I don't know that we would anticipate, you know, anything of that size and with that, um, that kind of a margin profile uh, as we go out into the future. My my uh, my last question here uh, is just on the, the organic um, growth, and you know when I, I look across business lines, you know clearly water stands out with you know very strong organic growth in the quarter. All of, all other business lines negative. Um, can you talk a bit about you know what happened in the quarter and and how sustainable this is? Yeah, you know um, we were very pleased with that 3.2 percent organic growth. But just in Q3, and then you know over 10% year to date, because you know particularly in the pandemic, you know that that's a, a tough a tough period. Initially, we saw in Q2 some of the um, some of the opportunities uh, retracting uh, as, as our clients moved home as well. But they're back now uh, too. So we're seeing our our um, we track on a on a daily basis the the number of opportunities and the volume of the size of the opportunities that are in our sales uh, pipeline. Those numbers are back to sort of more normal uh, pre-COVID type numbers. Uh, we, we're seeing um, a little bit more uh, from the public sector than the private sector. It, it's interesting that the, the amount of work, uh, the amount of opportunities in our pipeline from a dollar value has never been this high before. Now, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that the number of opportunities has kind of returned to more normal sizes. A bit of it, though, too, could be that, you know, squeezing out the bottom, some of those opportunities aren't being awarded quite as quickly. Uh, but, you know, I think it's just, it's positive for us to see, though, that, that, that the size of opportunities in the, or the overall volume of opportunities in the pipeline is, is uh, you know, continues to rise. So I, I do think that from what we're seeing right now, Jacob, that the, the organic growth, uh, that numbers that we've put up for 2021, um, they feel about right. And again, that's absent any significant stimulus because, you know, it's hard to predict the timing of when that might occur. I'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks.
Thank you. Our next question today comes from Benoit Poirier of the Jargon Bank. Please go ahead, your line is open. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Um, just to come back on the uh, question on the uh, the mix that will impact 2021, I was wondering what drove the profitability downward of the uh, the large project that that you just mentioned, and whether there could be uh, other projects that that could Im- impact the mix in 2021. You know, I think the you know the big project that you know Teresa referred to is. It seems like that big Trans Mountain pipeline job, big, big job. You know, we um, and we see uh, while they, we've been ramping up uh, over the last number of years, 2021 is the will be the major year where we'll we'll expend the majority of our effort and and receive the majority of the revenue. And so that's why I, I think that in 2021, you know, that that has sort of an outsized impact on pulling down gross margin a bit. Um, the impact of that w- will be lesser in 2022 and 2023 just because the majority of the work will will phase on. So, um, so that would be, I think, the, the bigger the bigger one. Then um, uh, a lot of that that will have the impact. And again, it will be primarily in 2021, and then it should lessen in 2022. And we don't see anything of that size and lower margin profile uh, currently in the in the pipeline. Okay, that's great. Maybe I'll just add one one comment, Benoit, around uh, around Trans Mountain because I think it's it's important. Where where you know it it sort of gets a bit of attention because of its size and and because of the impact it's having on on our, our overall gross margin. But this is you know a project as we talked about before that um, you know is is mainly staffed with contract workers and and so this is um, you know, a project that we are able to kind of uh, wrap up and down. The, uh, the, the base of, of workers uh, uh, to suit the project. And it's not the case that um, there is a, a choice to be made for us around competing projects and we are deploying you know, our efforts towards this one project at, to the detriment of another or at the choice of other projects that might have different margin profiles. This is purely incremental for us. And I think from that perspective, you know, I, 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 I want to touch on that because I think it's important to understand that it is from an incremental perspective, uh, from, from a, a return on, on our, our working capital perspective, still positive for us. Uh, and so I don't want to leave the impression, you know, that this is a project that, uh, you know, that, that we, we shouldn't be doing because it's uh, dragging our gross margin. Gross margin is important as a metric, but there's so many other factors that we need to consider when we look at uh, the work that we do and the earnings that we generate. And, and so from a, a return perspective, you know, this, this one is, you know, is, is a good project for us. Okay, that, that's great, Tyler. Thanks. And with respect to the potential impairments that you uh, you might take to in order to uh, reassess the uh, the real estate or cost reduction initiative, I was just curious what would drive the decision. Is it purely a function of organic growth, utilization rate, and what could be the uh, the, the magnitude or the, the, the potential impact we, we might see in 2021? Sure. So on on the occupancy cost front, you'll you'll recall that this is work that we pointed to in our strategic plan, and so this is something that we have been analyzing for you know for some time now. And certainly, as we moved into the pandemic, it it, it gave us some 
real live data as to what was possible um, from from a, a reduction of our footprint. Uh, but as Gord said, you know, there's there's you know, I, I think we need to resist the urge to uh, to then set this as our new normal and uh, and empty out all of our office spaces uh, to reduce occupancy costs. There's there, we, we need to get an understanding of what is normal, what is long term. Uh, our, our occupancy, what is that, that going to look like? And so, it, you know, it will be driven by uh, the work that we had done pre-pandemic around, you know, what, what is the appropriate amount of square footage per employee? Uh, and, and, and we're blending that with now uh, our, some new information around uh, what do we as an employer expect uh, from having uh, our employees in the office relative to what do our employees want, how much do they want to be in the office and finding that right balance as well. Um, and, and, and then are there places where, you know, we've got uh, leases that are, are, you know, that are maybe coming uh, to maturity within the next couple of years that we see an opportunity to, to exit now uh, as, as opposed to later. So it's, it's all of those dynamics that we're looking at. Um, what's the scale of it? It's, it's really, it's tough to say at this point. Um, and, uh, but, but I think it's fair to say that we, we believe that there's a significant opportunity there. And so, you know, unfortunately when you do uh, these kinds of things, the, the accounting rules are kind of punitive. It makes you take a, a non-cash charge uh, uh, right away. Uh, but overall, it should, um, you know, you, you're, you're doing it to uh, improve your earning profile uh, and, and your cash flow. So, you know, we, we think it'll be a good trade-off to make. Uh, but we don't at this point have, you know, a, a, an order of magnitude for you. Okay. Thank you very much for the time. Thanks, Emma. Thank you. The next question today comes from Frederick Bastian of Raymond James. Please go ahead. Hi. Good morning to you both. Um, I'm a bit surprised by your uh, board. I'm a bit surprised by your relatively muted growth expectations for the U.S. next year. Can you provide a bit more detail on what's behind that outlook? You know, a, a number of things that, I, that we're looking at, you know, we, we do feel that there will be some infrastructure stimulus that will come forward and will continue to drive, drive things. You know, we're seeing some, some good activity still in the water space. We see some good activity in, in transportation, certainly power. Uh, some of the renewables we talked about, solar and, and so on. But, you know, the building space is going to be interesting next year there as we, as we continue to talk about that pivot from commercial, that pivot from hospitality. You know, we haven't seen as much of an uptick in opportunities in healthcare in the United States as we have in, in Canada and Australia and so on. And so I think you'll, you know, you'll see that from, from our, our perspective on, on next year uh, that we're, you know, we're being a little cautious and a little cautiously optimistic perhaps on things that um, uh, we, you know, we haven't included acquisitions, we haven't included uh, stimulus. And I think that's just sort of, you know, the, the future is a little unwritten there still. And so we're, we're taking a bit of a, a cautious wait and see attitude towards it. No, that's good to hear. I think it, I think it is a prudent way to go. Um, speaking of M&A, uh, from, from that standpoint, are you, you know, given current conditions and, you know, a lot of moving parts out there, but um, are there any regions or verticals that you're particularly attracted to right now? 
you know, we, we continue to, um, to look for opportunities in, in many of our verticals. We're, you know, as, we, as we've spoken about before uh, in our strategic plan, we're really focused on continuing to grow in those non-cyclic businesses, um, water, transportation, uh, and so on. And, so I, I, and, and the buildings component that would be less cyclic, it would be like the healthcare components and so on. So certainly we're looking for activity in, in those, those groups. Uh, we continue to look uh, good opportunities, I think, still for some infill in Canada. We are looking in, in the U.S. and, and certainly uh, we haven't changed our geographic profile where we're looking outside the, of North America, still looking at the U.K. with a bit of a cautious look to, to uh, Brexit in the short term, looking a bit at um, some of the Nordics, uh, Western Europe a bit, and then certainly down in Australia and New Zealand. Okay, are you still, uh, and are you still actively engaged in discussions with respect to m and Obviously, there's that uncertainty around COVID, uh, about timing of transactions and things like that. But are you still comfortable and happy with uh, the number of discussions you're having right now? Yeah, you know, a, a lot of the discussions that uh, in interesting over the last little while that, you know, I think we previously, previously provided some color too, that we saw a slowdown in activity March, April uh, timeframe as people kind of looked inwards to manage their own business. The, the existing discussions, the ongoing discussions that we were having were paused, but those have really been reinitiated over the last several months. And it's been, I think, also interesting to note that there's been a number of new uh, firms that have initiated discussions with us over the last, you know, really month to six weeks. You know, and these were firms that we've been having some discussions with, just very, very cursory, but have, have really not that they've suffered during the, the, the during COVID, because a number of firms, you know, as you know, are, are continuing to, to do just as well now as they were before. But I think they're just looking at ownership transition and you know having a little bit more time to, to think about some of these things. So I'd say that the the, the discussions that we had ongoing pre-COVID uh, have continued, and we've initiated some additional new discussions over the last month to six weeks. That's great, caller. Thank you very much. Great, thank you. Thank you. Our next questions now come from Sabahat Khan of RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Great. Uh, thanks and good morning. Um, just a little bit more on some of the commentary on specific end markets. I think part of the U.S. market, you noted some water activity there as well. Can you maybe talk about, sounds like there's a bit of variance within the water market across geographies. Um, can you maybe provide a little bit of color there on what you're seeing globally? Sure. And, and so when you were talking about end markets, just within the United States or sort of, you know, I would maybe look at that from a larger perspective, talk about the U.K., U.S., Canada, and, and Australia. Is that sort of where you, what you're thinking? Yeah, just I think it was mentioned in the U.S. It seemed like it might be a little bit softer, but yeah, just globally, just what you're seeing, it seems like the U.K. is still doing well. Yeah. But just curious, yeah. Yeah, so you know, uh, looking at water overall, certainly in the, in the U.K., um, water is a regulated uh, industry in the U.K. It continues to be driven by you know the EU directives. And it's interesting that those are unlikely to be relaxed in any way, you know, after Brexit. M7 is now well underway. We're, in fact, aggressively hiring uh, to continue to, as we ramp up 
M7. Of course, that's difficult during a pandemic, but um, you know, so we'll, we've, we've been very successful and we haven't seen a drop in 2020 in, in water in the UK. Uh, Australia, New Zealand, you know, we, we've got a couple of good framework awards uh, ongoing um, in Australia, and I think that will continue to drive growth for us in the water industry through uh, the remainder of 2020 and certainly into 2021. And in, in, the, uh, in North America, you know, water, we've, we've had organic growth in water <coughs> for the last, you know, five, six quarters, strong growth. We saw it again in Q3, and we are um, projecting continued uh, growth, uh, organic growth in water uh, in, uh, in, in through 2020 as well. North America, the, the backlog of projects in the water space, very strong. You know, and, and, there's, and it's because we're active in so many spaces. Uh, and dominate really in North America in a number of everything from coastal resilience type work to water wastewater treatment, big water conveyance, water resources projects. Um, so we see continued good opportunities in water really in all of our major geographies in, um, uh, in, in the remainder of 2020 and into 2021. Okay, thanks. And then um, I guess just on the 2021 commentary that you provided, you know, appreciating the fact that M&A is not included in there, I guess, can you maybe comment on maybe the scale or size of potential transactions that you're currently engaged with? Just trying to see if there is potentially some needle-moving opportunities in the pipeline. You know, I completely understand it's still uncertain given the backdrop, but, you know, what kind of conversations are you having? Is it larger players or smaller players typically? Yeah, you know, we, we haven't really changed our philosophy there, which is still to target those, you know, small to mid, smaller to mid-sized firms, kind of less than a thousand people. You know, that that's really it, uh, is our area of focus. You know, that said, there, there will be larger ones that, that come, I think, in 2021, and we'll have a we'll have a look at them. But our primary area of focus is still on that small to mid-sized, less than a thousand people uh, type of space. And then I think you made some commentary. Uh, there's some commentary earlier that you know, the healthcare work is picking up in some markets and not in the U.S. That was somewhat surprising. Can you maybe shed some color on why that region might be a little bit different on that front? Yeah, you know, and it's um, there's a lot of ongoing discussions still in the U.S., but we've just seen less pursuit activity over the last you know quarter quarter and a half in in the U.S. than than we have. Uh, in Canada and the and Australia in particular, you know I, I do think that it'll, we'll see it coming back. Perhaps there's some of these larger projects where we're waiting to uh, to learn more about uh, you know any the impact of any potential stimulus that might be coming forward. Um, U.S. also has has more you know more private healthcare sort of operations uh, down there, so we may be waiting just to see a little bit more how how some of these things shake out over the next quarter or so. There is still great opportunity there. It's just that over the last quarter, quarter and a half, we've seen less opportunities come to market in the U.S. than we have in other locations. Okay, good. And then just last one for me. I think you mentioned earlier on this larger project, which it sounds like is a TMX, the gross margin might be lower, but there's less SG&A or discretionary costs associated with it. Can you maybe talk about what's driving that? Is it just the nature of the work you're doing there that's resulting in lower SG&A? Yeah, so, you know, like Teresa mentioned that the vast majority of, of the individuals that we have working for us on that job are contractors. And so, uh, really, they're, they'll typically, they, they won't see the inside of a Santec office 
you know, these are folks who are hired specifically to be on site working on that, that project. So, um, so a lot of the, you know, the admin, there's, there's really no marketing costs, you know, for those folks who aren't involved in, in working on other proposals, uh, you know, they often will bill at a day rate uh, for the work that they do there. So there's really limited to no administrative time, certainly no marketing time, um, and, and expenses are, are covered. So there's, there's, uh, uh, there's really no, you know, none of those discretionary admin and marketing costs uh, for the most part that we would see with, with other operations. So right, while the gross margin on the work is lower, uh, really there's, uh, you, you could never say none, but there's very, very limited admin and, and marketing costs. And, and so on the flip side, their utilization rates are virtually 100%. Okay, great. Thanks very much for the color. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Our next questions today come from Mona Nazir of Laurentian and Bank. Please go ahead. Good morning, and thank you for taking my questions. Um, on prior conference calls on the back of COVID, you stated that there were some pricing concessions put in place, and I believe the majority of those were short-term in nature three to six months. I'm just wondering if they have come off at all or are there further concessions? And I'm just wondering, um, related to that, if you've seen increased competition or pricing pressure. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. So some, certainly some of those that were of shorter duration have come off. Um, others you know, will, will stick for a bit longer. Um, but we factored all that into our forecast for the remainder of this year and, and next uh, outlook for next year as well. Uh, in terms of you know, what we're seeing going forward, you know, this is always a, a price competitive market, uh, but we haven't seen some of the, the, the pricing pressures from, from a competitive environment that we saw early on in the pandemic. We've seen a bit of lessening of that. Uh, you know, you, you, you'll see from other firms that, that you look at in the space, these companies are still doing fairly well. So the, the need to to continually beat each other up and, and continue drive prices down to secure additional market share has become less of a concern of, of people as, as the pandemic has uh, proceeded. You know, that said, it, like, as I say, it's always a competitive uh, market, uh, but a lot of that pricing pressure that we saw, you know, the first couple of months of, uh, as people moved home really has, has come off uh, to a degree. That's very helpful. And then just secondly on M&A, I know you did speak um, to a number of questions on this. Um, we have not seen a number of transactions within the space. I think Teshmont was kind of one of the only ones in, in my coverage universe. I'm just wondering, um, you mentioned the various geographies that you continue to target, UK, Nordics, Australia. I just wanted to confirm that there's not a higher probability of M&A in Canada or the US just given location and proximity um, with travel restrictions. And then um, on that, I'm just wondering if you're comfortable with the ability to do due diligence from afar, um, you know, the financials for the companies that you're targeting and related integration. Yeah. So um, in terms of where we're looking, you know, what's really important to us is that where we're looking for a firm, we have a solid uh, presence from a Stantec uh, perspective. We have people that understand uh, what it takes to, to go through due diligence, the source of firm, what does the cultural fit look like, and we feel very comfortable with the leadership that we have in place in 
in the UK, Western Europe, Australia, New Zealand, in addition to the, the leadership we have in place in Canada and the United States. So, you know, as long as we're in a, a location where we have that strong uh, leadership, uh, I think we feel very comfortable continuing to, to, to move forward. And we ha are having ongoing discussions really in all of those geographies that, that, you, uh, that you mentioned. And uh, so from the perspective of, of conducting due diligence uh, and so on, you know, again, our, the, the, our leaders in these various areas, whether you're doing project due diligence, HR, uh, accounting, taxation, you know, we'll, we'll have people on the ground, but we'll always be in contact with sort of our, the, group that, the group of people that lead that initiative just to ensure that we're asking the right questions, we're um, pushing forward with, with due diligence appropriately. So, you know, it, I don't really see that these travel restrictions at this point are really significantly inhibiting our ability to, to move forward with our, our M&A discussions. Okay, that's very helpful. And just lastly for me, I appreciate you providing 2021 guidance, particularly in such challenging times. I understand that there are a number of questions surrounding the outlook, but this is just more of a clarification. Um, just given you stated that organic, the organic growth target is kind of feeling right, but then you're also somewhat cautious. Um, just for my own purposes, would it be fair to say that you would characterize the overall guidance as being realistic based on how things are sitting right now, or perhaps somewhat conservative? You know, we, we, we feel good about it, Mona. I think we feel that it's, it's realistic based on what we know now, and, um, you, you know, we, we do feel comfortable with, with where we are. We, you know, we didn't, we didn't want to put out um, our, our, sort of our targets that we thought were unachievable because then, you know, that'll cause us issues uh, all of next year. So I think these are realistic numbers that we feel uh, re reflect our, how we're thinking about the environment at this point. Perfect. That's great. Thank you. Congrats on the performance. Great. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you. Our next question comes from Michael Tipholm from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Oh, thanks. Good morning. Um, wanted to go back to the uh, the discussion about the strategic initiative to look at uh, optimization of occupancy costs. Um, Teresa, is this just, just in terms of timing? It sounds like you're sort of still in an, in an evaluation or at an evaluation stage here. I know you said it's not included. There's no benefits included in your 2021 guidance from this, but what is the timing for uh, potentially coming to some conclusions through this process, and then how quickly could you expect to see some benefits um, from that? Well, I think based on where we are, um, you know, it, it'd be realistic to think that in the next, you know, sort of three to six months, uh, we'll, we'll draw uh, draw to conclusion. And again, you know, because the the, the whole situation around work from home continues to be fluid, um, and we're trying to make a, a long-term decision, um, you know, it, it may may take longer than we expected, but, you know, we're, we're advancing, and we have 350 locations around the world, so it's a lot of data to crunch through, um, and, and a lot of thinking around, you know, what, uh, what's the appropriate uh, sizing that, that we um, that we want to put in place. So, um, you know, our expectation is that it would be, you know, in I'd say the three to six uh, month period, um, but with a, a caveat that it could take longer just as, as if things kind of change unexpectedly. 
and, and if it is within that period in terms of the sort of the decision making process, you know, I know you know it takes time to to uh, get out of leases or to sort of rearrange things on that front. Um, what would be a realistic expectation for when you would start to begin to see the benefits? Well, you know, I think what's, so what, um, what's interesting about the way the accounting rules work is that, you know, when, when, you, when you make a determination and, you, you know, you've established uh, pretty firmly what your plans are around the use of that space, you, know, you have to assess and take that impairment charge like right away. Uh, and because you've taken that charge right away, you then start to see the benefits through you know, lower uh, occupancy costs, um, mostly through your depreciation and interest expense line items, but also to some extent in your G&A line item. You start to see that right away because you've now you know, kind of unburdened yourself from that lease. So it is, it is pretty immediate. The cash flow impact could be, you know, slightly lagged uh, depending on when you're able to uh, to release or sublease that space. Uh, but from an earnings standpoint, you would start to see that uh, pretty much right away. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. And then um, second question, uh, Gord, I think you were speaking earlier and you mentioned that you, you see the, the opportunity pipeline, the awards pipeline as being very strong. Just thinking back to the last quarterly uh, release and call, there was some discussion about observing uh, uh, some slowdowns in current projects and, and new awards in the second half of 2020. So I'm just trying to sort of reconcile the strength of that pipeline with the commentary last quarter about uh, the pipeline, the, pardon me, the new awards sort of um, activity slowing a bit. I mean, the pipeline, I suppose, could be very robust, but are you are you confident sort of in the conversion of those opportunities to awards, or, or are there still some uh, pressures given the environment we're in in terms of, uh, of that conversion? Yeah, you know, we have seen some, sometimes some of the award process can take a little bit longer, but yet you can see from the 3.2% the increase in organic growth in our backlog in, in Q3, you know, we have been converting those. So I, I think that we're getting back to a more normal cadence, although, you know, it's still sometimes in an environment where all the, the clients are working at home, it can take a little longer to get all the paperwork done and move all these things forward. but. You know, again, really just the fact that our, our backlog increased organically by 3% in Q3, you know, I think sort of provides me some comfort that we are, you know, seeing that conversion from opportunities to backlog. Okay, so has there been a, uh, that, that makes sense, but I'm just wondering, has there been an actual improvement from your perspective in terms of the, I guess, relative to those comments you made last quarter about um, slowdowns of, of, of Possible awards, like has that has that situation sort of improved uh, from your perspective? You know, and and I think uh, Michael, it's interesting because uh, you know my thought about over the over the next period of time is going to be one of flexibility. You know, because I think if we looked at now the UK for the next month, when the UK has now gone into lockdown, I think we're going to see now. Luckily, we've got all our app awards going, and the projects are are underway. But you know, for new awards in the UK during a lockdown for the next couple months or next month, sorry, I think it might be a little bit slower. But and conversely, if we looked at Australia, where they just you know, which is pretty active, Australia, New Zealand, where our offices are open, we're back. Melbourne has reopened after their lockdown. You know, I'd expect to see awards in the Melbourne area that perhaps have been a bit slower during lockdown speed up a little bit again. So I think it's it's going to be. Uh, 
it's hard to make a broad brush statement at this point because the world is going to be, I think, in this move forward, lurch backwards, move forward, lurch backwards. So it's going to be, so the, the words that we've been using internally is just be flexible and understand that some things are going to happen faster, some things are going to happen slower, but on balance, you know, we feel like we're on the, we're on the right track, backlog is growing, um, you know, book to burn greater than one in each of our business operating units in the quarter, so that's, a, that's pretty impressive. But it's, 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 you know, the future, and just in the same way as we've talked about 2021, you know, I think we're, we're uh, just being a bit cautious to make any broad statements because it, the world is in a bit of an unknown place still. Right, and that makes sense. No, I appreciate the, the fluidity and the fact that regions differ, uh, so that makes complete sense. Uh, just final question for me. In the, uh, in the discussion around the 2021 outlook, um, there was some commentary about uh, looking at a meaningful increase in cost of employee group benefits, and I apologize if I missed this, but can you just explain to me and, and provide a little more detail on, on what's behind that and what's driving that? Yeah, you know, I think what we're seeing is um, through the pandemic, um, it was interesting because initially people went home and, and kind of stopped doing everything. But as time wore on, um, the, the use of uh, employee benefits ha has really uh, increased uh, pretty, uh, pretty, uh, at a pretty high rate. And, and so people are, you know, going to physio, getting, you know, getting their necks adjusted, they're going getting massages, they're getting all these things taken care of, and they're importantly, you know, taking uh, advantage of, you know, whether it's, it's counseling, that sort of emotional support that's offered through employee programs, and, and that is, of course, you know, why those programs exist. Uh, but I, I believe what we're seeing now is the pricing into the programs for next year that's reflective of, you know, assumed higher usage. and. You know, as I said, as a people company, you know, that can have quite a, quite a dramatic effect on us when uh, the cost of those benefit programs increase. And so that's what we're seeing, um, and, and that's what, you know, is factored into what, what I think, whether it's permanent or not, I, I have no idea, but I know for next year we are seeing, you know, a, 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 a significant increase. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, thanks very much. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Our next questions come from Maxine Suchev from National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Hi, good to you. Good morning. Morning, Max. Um, just wanted to circle back to uh, your commentary around book to bill uh, being above one. Um, you know, as, as we look at the backlog, which is which is strong, then organic growth on the revenue side uh, obviously dipped. Um, how should we think about sort of the, the change in the burn rate or there's literally none of just timing, which is kind of impacting things? So I, I guess my, my question is, you know, how quickly can we see organic growth actually coming back um, into positive territory, given the backlog trends? Right. Yeah, so we, we have seen that some of these projects are, you know, stretching out a little bit longer than they had. And so we, as we look into 2021 and, and our our sort of um, low to mid single digit organic growth uh, assumptions that we put forward there. That's sort of as, as, we, as we've spoken with our leaders in the various business uh, lines and in the, in the different geographies, you know, that's sort of a number that is, is everyone feels pretty comfortable about. You know, certainly we see a group like water probably at the higher end 
uh, of that and other groups that you know in, in different different positioning you know in the organic growth spread but so I think we feel pretty good Max about that you know low to mid single digit organic growth in 2021 based on what we see in the pipeline and based on what we've got in backlog. Right. But I, I guess I mean, can, can you cross there by kind of Q1 where Q2 is going to be sort of the, the first quarter where you see sort of positive counts? You know, I think that as part of what we typically see from a seasonality perspective, you know, Q1 is always a little bit slower because you know, certainly up, up here in the north, we don't have a lot of field programs moving in and things. So, you know, I think while we, we and, and knowing of course that, that uh, Q120 was still pre-pandemic, so that's right. going to be a higher comp. Was where we get into Q2, we're looking at a post-pandemic. So it's, we're going to see if, you know, while the revenues might be might be react as we would expect from a seasonal perspective, um, from an organic growth perspective, as we look at Q2 21, we're still comparing to that higher Q1 20 pre-pandemic comp. So um, I think we'll probably see it numerically reflects much better in, in Q2 because we're ramping up and coming off a lower uh, post-pandemic comp. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And, and then lastly, just um, uh, given sort of all the moving parts on the building side, um, do you feel that uh, the headcount that you have in that division specifically is uh, sort of appropriate uh, given um, the revenue opportunities uh, that, that you guys have seen on the horizon? Um, I guess my question is if, if you yeah, have to, have you know, sort of contemplate perfect stuff. Yeah, that, that group um, has been managed extremely well through, through the pandemic, and we've been matching headcount at different levels in the organization to available work uh, throughout. So I think we'll continue managing it very judiciously uh, as we have, but I, I don't see the need for any, any um, you know, more significant headcount reductions because it's been run very well throughout the pandemic. Right. Okay. Next one. Thank you so much. That's it for me. Thanks, Max. Thank you. That will now conclude the question and answer session. I'd like to hand back to our speakers today for any additional or closing ones. Well, you know, thanks everyone for joining us on the call today. Uh, you know, we look forward to continuing to speak with you uh, about our future progress. And you know, have a great day and, and stay healthy. Thanks very much. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. That will now conclude today's conference call. Thank you for your participation, ladies and gentlemen. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.